I'm Roberto, engineer turned PGA Tour player turned businessman. And I'm Dan, businessman on the weekdays and average golfer on the weekends. On the Course Record Show, we talk to some of the smartest people in the golf business and get the inside stories and strategies driving the business of golf forward. Welcome to the latest episode of the Course Record Show. We started 2022 with predictions. This week, we have an episode recorded on the floor of the PGA show, and we'll get to it in a second, but a quick call to action. Would love your help. The Course Record Show is only possible because of your support. So we'd love to enlist your help in three different ways. Number one, subscribe to the show. Number two, write us a review. Number three, let's keep the dialogue going two ways. If you like what you're hearing or you want to debate us, find us on social media. We're pretty active on Twitter and uh, share with a friend. Dan, this episode was a little different. First of all, we had three guests and we were all in person. Part of the appeal of the PGA show of getting out of your basement office and getting on an airplane and fighting the Orlando traffic is to get face-to-face time with industry folks. We recorded on the floor of the PGA show, so you'll hear some background noise. But the first guest represented Greengrass Golf Facilities. Matthew Hobbins is a director and leads acquisitions at Concert Golf Partners. Concert is an owner-operator of upscale golf and country clubs with over 25 clubs nationwide in their portfolio. Second, we got a representative of alternative golf facilities. Ken Reynolds leads sales and marketing at About Golf. Ken has seen the rapid growth of simulator golf. He's been in the industry for 19 years as a business owner, as a product distributor, and now as an executive. And to give us a strategic perspective, we're joined by John Bradway, a principal at CapTech, an award-winning technology consulting firm that builds innovative solutions for clients across the Fortune 500. John leads the golf and sports practice at CapTech, which was recently selected to be the official digital technology partner of the PGA of America and the PGA Championship. Quick disclosure, Castro Golf serves as an advisor to CapTech. So those were the three guests on the panel. I was the fourth. Dan was stuck in a snowdrift in Boston, but he'll be joining us after the conversation for takeaways. Let's get right into it. It's March 2020. The NBA shuts down. Players' championship is canceled. Stock market is crashing. Streets, airports, restaurants, all empty, closed. If I told you two years later we'd be sitting here and golf would see a a once-in-a-generation boom, millions of new players, equipment sales would be up 50%, waiting lists at clubs would be years long, you would have said I was crazy. But here we are and all of those things are true. Those are interesting numbers, but there's people behind those numbers, people who are choosing to play golf. So a question we've always explored on the Course Record Show is why do people play golf? PGA of America is throwing the party here in Orlando, so we'll use three personas they've identified. Competitive golfer, social golfer, and the health and wellness golfer. So Matthew, I'll start with you. Yeah. I saw an exciting announcement around the health and wellness golfer, and uh, how are you serving that persona? Happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for hosting us, Roberto. Um, Listen, yeah, it, it seems like it's been a lot more than uh, two years since we've, we've been back here at the PGA Show. A lot has happened, and, and I think what we've seen, certainly at our clubs and with our memberships, is you know, people, people want connectivity uh, to each other. They want uh, a refocus on their lifestyle and well-being. Uh, and so this new partnership we announced with F45 has been, has been exciting for us. We've actually been speaking with F45 uh, for a number of years you know, our clubs uh, are very unique. We, we have 23 clubs and we're growing. Uh, and, and like most country clubs, right, you've got a fitness offering that would be akin to what you see in a hotel gym. You know, uh, maybe a few thousand square feet or less, uh, some equipment, uh, but just the basics. And so we've been trying to identify, you know, what can we give to our members uh, to give them a better fitness and wellness experience? And so F45 is a, a, a very fast-growing franchisee of health and fitness offerings and their proposition to us is hey you've got the space we've got the technology and the programming and the branding why don't we marry these two together you want to serve your members and give them a better fitness experience so what they're going to do at a number of our properties is retrofit our fitness facilities they come in and they're going to put you know nine or ten screens all around uh, the room and they've got a, a database of you know 
3,000 workouts that you can do. Okay. And so every every morning you're coming in to your to your F45 class, it's a different workout. You wear a Lionheart monitor uh, around okay. your waist or, or just below your chest. Uh, and there's some gamification of the fitness experience where your stats are shown on the screen and you can have a competition with the other folks working out in, in your in your program, in your class. Um, and and cool. it's just bringing a different tech, technology-based fitness experience to our members, and we're really excited about the partnership with them. So I have to ask, I'm a Mark Wahlberg fan. I watched his show about his many businesses. The most prevalent one seems to be F45. He's a big investor, big partner. Did you guys yes. deal with Marky Mark during this process? And he's a huge golfer. Yeah, he, he's a big golfer, and uh, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's very involved. He's not just a, a face to the brand. He, he's a true believer in F45 and in, in the outcomes. Uh, and, and so it's been fun to interact with him. If you, if you stick around later today, we'll be on a panel with Greg Norman, who's also involved uh, as a partner and is really leading the golf-facing initiatives for, for F45. Okay. Uh, but, but they are littered with all sorts of uh, celebrity athletes and, and big names who, are, who, who just believe in, in what F45 is doing and the health outcomes it's having for the members and guests that enjoy it. So will there be 3.30 a.m. classes offered at your clubs? Because that's when Mark works out, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I think 5.30 might be the earliest. I, <laughs> I, I, they may have a special program for him. I, I'm not sure what our members will go for. Ken, switching gears to about golf, you guys have seen tremendous growth. Do you think that's been fueled by the competitive golfer or the social golfer? I think it's been fueled by all of it. We, with, with everything that happened when the world stopped spinning, um, we had to change gears quickly. So we had, you know, we are a fully custom product where we'll work with the business owner, the homeowner to build it into the home, build it into the business, build, you know, uh, strategic business plans with them. But when our team couldn't get to the field, we really had to change gears. So we, we temporarily started to create a kind of a DIY product to work with the on-site team because oh, our wow. installers couldn't get there. So then it was almost a phased installation. The homeowners during during COVID and everything during the shutdown, they just you know they wanted something to do. So the growth of indoor golf, the growth of bringing it home was enormous. On the commercial end, we we really started to see country clubs, golf courses, commercial facilities start to grow and start to plan ahead as to what was to come. So um, with country clubs, as, as Matthew alluded to, the, the the programs they're doing are are absolutely in line with what we're doing with country clubs as well because it's the country club market is now different. It's not that old school, you know, come play 18 holes, go to the go to the grill. It's now a full family environment. So it's getting them there, keeping them there, giving them other reasons. So our technology along with, with what, you know, Matthew and, and, and his, it's amazing. And it's the country clubs and the golf courses, it's, it's developing, it's turning into that full family and they're, they're really starting to see it. So we really started to see it on all levels. We, start, we, yeah. we saw it on a commercial level and we saw it really on a residential level of, of the growth. Any interesting stories on the DIY? You install your own simulator? Um, <laughs> yes, you, you get the, the home DIYers, but our team was there. We did a great job of, of getting them everything they needed. But yeah, when we would get on site, to, when we could finally get there, it was like, wow, like they, they got creative. So, yeah. but it, it got them swinging. It got them, you know, getting active. They couldn't get to Pebble Beach in real life, so they, right. they wanted it at home. Yeah, I could see myself like, busting a pipe trying to install a golf simulator. So, it gets interesting. Yeah. So Matthew's mentioned technology and the platform F45 has. Ken's business is obviously driven by technology. John, this is your world. How do you see the evolution of technology in golf? And, and specifically, I think it feels very fragmented from a user perspective. You might need 10 or 12 apps to do all the fun things you want to do in golf. Similar to media where I have Disney Plus, I have Netflix, I have all these different things. Do you see that being unavoidable as technology? comes into golf or do you see there being some consolidation and a better experience eventually? Yeah, I think fragmentation is going to persist. You know, if you look at media, that's my that's my background. Um, it's very uh, fragmented and I have all those different subscriptions. My kids watch some, I watch some, we kind of flip in and out of them. And I, I don't think there's a lot of consolidation. And I, I think in golf and across industries, uh, fragmentation, it actually provides a net positive because there's you know, different markets, different business models, different needs, different opportunities that people are pursuing. I mean, certainly there's consolidation, but um, 
and I think it actually keeps us leaning forward and, and growing and driving. For for golf specifically, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, there are it's 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 difficult to kind of move across, and I, I think uh, move across all those apps and create many many different profiles. I think what could emerge that would be really helpful is a data standard um, to really be able to move data, move yourself and your persona and your preferences across all those different platforms. So you can you can choose the application that you're interested in that gives you you know what you need for your for your golf game and how you like to experience it. But the data is open, and that's something that CapTech that we've worked on across industries, and it's something that we're really um, you know pushing and hopeful happens uh, here in golf as well, just to have that standard in place. That's interesting. What other industries would you say? have implemented something similar to that? Well, I mean, a lot of the mature industries are still figuring it out because they've historically been competitors, um, you know, and, and they are, are, are seeking to understand how, how to work together and how to play nicely in the sandbox. So you get lots of uh, frenemies. I mean, I, you look at how App, uh, Apple and Microsoft and Amazon all play together, Google, um, you know, they're starting to have some frenemy type relationships. You start to see it in uh, industries like utilities where they're a little more, you know, they have monopolies within their um, franchise area. So you start to see some data sharing there, but other ones are still figuring it out. I mean, certainly retail, media hasn't figured that part out yet. Yeah, um, yeah it's a long way to go. It's interesting. The parallels between industries always fascinate me. So, Ken, in the, our last episode was a 2022 predictions episode, and my uh, absent partner here, Dan, said that something driving simulator golf, and he was very bullish on simulator golf, was uh, he, he picked out two things, demonetization and dematerialization, which are fancy MBA words for it's cheaper and it's smaller. So talk about price trends for your product, talk about the actual equipment. How has that evolved? You've been in the industry a lot longer than most folks. How have you seen that evolve? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I first got into the industry and got exposed to it, it was a it was a very tight niche. It was, you know, a, a, a really single price point type of product. It was in the high 30s, low 40s, you know, thousand range. Obviously, with technology, things getting, you know, less expensive. Um, we are really starting to see players in the game that are. It's a it's a price point model, and we. I use the analogy of the car industry. You know, you're going to get your first car, and it's going to be X price. But as you start to move up. Um, about Golf never really veered into the price point model. Our okay. DIY product was there. It was that entry point to get our technology into the house. Okay. But then our team would come in and customize it after. But we've we've really maintained that that high level of everything we do from the customization. Um, we are a a full software and technology company, so everything is homegrown, based out of Ohio. So our team has ownership over everything. So okay. everything we do from in the room, from the software, from our tracking technology, everything, you know, we have our hands on it and we have very close eyes. So with the industry, you're absolutely starting to see the DIY market is exploding and it's great. I mean, any exposure to this industry is fantastic. You're starting to see a, a lot of, you know, very powerful Facebook channels that are people, hey, I want to put a golf simulator in my garage. Do it for $5,000, do it for cheaper. Right. And then it's, all right, what do I want next? What do I want next? So we are that premier product, that luxury on the high end. You guys have a closed system, you own the software, you own, how does that conversation go when someone like John talks about a data standard? Or hey, let's connect various pieces of golf. We are all for it. Okay. We are all, because we, even though we are a software and technology company, right. there's good stuff out there. We right. don't need to reinvent the wheel on, on and our and obviously a developer wants to reinvent that wheel, but we are all for it. And okay. so we're right now we're starting to branch out into other industries, other companies that, hey, you've got great solutions, let's work together. Great. Matthew, yeah. let me ask you about demographics. So what's the profile of, of a member of your club? What are you looking at uh, as far as age, as far as Ken mentioned the family part. I think that's one of the biggest trends in golf. I think 100%, the yep. I think the the absolute dead on arrival model is the dad works all week, plays golf Saturday, few scotches in the afternoon, and the, like that just doesn't. Yeah, thing of the past. It's a thing, thing of the, the past. past. It really is, and probably yeah. for the better for society as a whole. <laughs> for husbands. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, how do you think about the demographics of your clubs and how you serve them? You know, absolutely important. And, and whenever we're looking to. Uh, partner with a club uh, and come in as the owner-operator. Demographics uh, in the surrounding area is important to us. So we want to know, you know, are there enough clubbable members? Are there enough, you know, wealthy families and a growing population 
that can that can be members of our club for the long term. Right, we are long term investors, um, and so we're trying to attract. We're trying to attract and, and get hooks into each member of the family. It's not just dad. It's it's the spouse. It's the kids. It's the tennis camps. The swim club, and and now with F forty five, you know. Uh, branching out into people who are more focused on wellness. So if we had an ideal kind of demographic, the, the, the low 40s, um, you know, young families who are going to be the lifeblood of the club for the long term and are going to be there paying their dues for the next 15, 20 plus years, uh, you know, that's what we see in the most successful clubs who are able to, uh, you know, cater to, because there's different segments in every country club, right? It's not just one demographic profile. You have some some of the older, more traditional country club users who want that experience that they've had, you know, for decades. Right. And then, it, but if you want to keep a vibrant club, you know, with a with a, you know, full membership and, and a successful operation, you got to branch out and you got to look at it, each member of the family. How different are your properties as far as demographics and operations? Is a club in Southwest Florida just have a completely different profile than? one in a city where there's a lot more young families absolutely absolutely i mean some of our some of our florida clubs are are uh, what you would designate designate as retiree clubs right and so the activities and the programming looks very different than for example uh, glen oaks country club in west des moines iowa you know inside one of the only gated communities in the entire state uh, you know 500 uh, homes within the development and it is the ultimate family club uh, I think they they've got one of the largest water slides uh, in the state, and they're and they're proud to, uh, to to say that. But they are they are going after, uh, you know, the ideal young family demographic where uh, they've got all the amenities and programming. And frankly, we we treat those clubs um, differently in, in how we approach them. You know, the cookie cutter model where what works here, uh, you know, in in Boston or Long Island or Des Moines, you know, is not the same as Atlanta or Southwest Florida or or you know other other parts of the country so yeah very very different but but some similar principles apply john captech is a leader in data and analytics but also has a big customer experience practice how do you balance those two things in something like golf because i think sometimes technology can be intrusive and then sometimes it can be additive so you see projects and on both sides of that coin how, how do you think that applies to golf how do you see it well, first of all, we're starting to see them collide a lot. The, the customer experience around how you use your data, both internally and externally with customers, is uh, changing a lot. So we're seeing a lot of opportunity across industry there. Um, and, and golf, I, I think there's a huge opportunity. I, I, golf is a great, it's a great experience, but it's not very experiential in terms of how you think about digital and other areas of your life. Um, two, two things that we're working on or have seen uh, recently uh, in and around this area is uh, on-course data creation, you know, to, to really unlock some of these experiences, you're gonna need data about your round and how you're progressing and how others around you are, um, but it's really hard. I mean, it's, there's plenty of apps out there where you can enter in a gross score um, for tournaments or even just personal play, but it, it's hard. Roberto and I were out playing, testing these out uh, earlier this year, and we lost it about two holes in capturing shot level data. I mean, it just, it's cumbersome, especially for a high handicapper like me, when, when you have a lot more volume up. of shots, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of pulling your phone out and, and you know tapping to say where you are. Um, so there, there's got to be some just you know usability um, that evolves in the data creation space to, to unlock some of these things. Um, the, the second area is uh, starting to create uh, an understanding of the why. Like what, why do I want to capture this data? Why do I care? What does it do for me? Um, so CapTech has been working to one essentially digitize the long drive competition or the closest to the pen that you might experience in a uh, charity golf tournament or a pro-am or member guest or something like that. And we're using a tool that we developed called Shotlander, which is, it, it's a process where someone besides you goes out and, and captures the location of the ball on the course. And from once we have that, we can do lots of things with it from you know, you know elite golfers and helping them understand their game, but also create these experiences around the closest to the pen. So that's an area that we're gonna be rolling out this year uh, across the you know charity and pro am footprint to show it's like hey if you if you've got um, this shot level data and you hit one close to the stick I, you move on and you go about your day and you have no idea if you're winning until you're back in the clubhouse how do we create some ongoing engagement how do we um, show you a scatter plot of where all those balls landed how do we show you potentially a shot trail of the one that got you know tight in did, did they actually duff it and ran up there 
or was it a you know, beautiful flush shot, you know, nice trajectory on it? So th there's a lot that we think that we can do there and, and use that as a little bit of a valley wick to, to show you know, where it can go and uh, over, over time as, as data evolves. Yeah, I think the why is, is the big question. Like, does this make my experience better or does it make it worse? And you're so right, we were using, trying to track some of our rounds and get some data. Second fairway, we gave up. You know, because it was like, I'm on my phone more at work, right? This, yeah. is, not, this is not what I signed up, signed up to do. So, Ken, similar question uh, for about golf. If you're trying to upgrade the experience for your customer, do you see it as better engineering or better user experience? The challenge we have is that, is, is yes to all of it. Right. Because we have a hardware aspect, we have a room aspect, we have a software aspect. Okay. We've all, we have to keep it moving. So absolutely, to John's point, user experience is everything. It's got to be ease of use. You're, at the end of the day, you're out playing a game of golf. Last thing you want to be doing is fumbling around with a phone or anything. And we see that within the simulator as well. The user experience, what's compelling is the stuff that's easy, the, the closest to the pin. You know, being able to see the scatter of, of a close to the pin contest and you'll see the reaction of the crowd. You know, here at the PGA show, we have a close to the pin running on, you know, at, at the hub with the PGA of America. And you're going to see people walk up and you know, they're going to see immediately, oh, somebody's two inches away, I'm out. I'm not going to be able to compete. So that stuff right there is immediate feedback for the, the competitive element. But where we see our improvements is just ease of use. At the end of the day, if you're at a country club, if you're at an indoor golf center or in your basement with a scotch, you want to be able to walk down, enjoy a round of golf, or play, play some games with the kids, and just not be fumbling around with stuff. So we're, we're staying on top of it. We've got some amazing things that are coming on our, on our UX, UI. Um, we're always trying to stay ahead of the curve with that, but it's also the, the ease and the, and the advancements of the hardware as well. Yeah. Um, Ken, talk about your commercial partners or commercial customers. I'm fascinated by this. You know, in Atlanta, we have In-Town Golf Club. It's a private yep. simulator club. Uh, we have Fairway Social, which I haven't visited yet, but it's, it it's a whole family-oriented simulator experience. Are you seeing a lot of that, which I would call like straight to the consumer, or are you seeing it plugging into private clubs? What, what is your typical, what do you project the growth for the commercial side? Um, Office buildings, it's, resorts? Yeah, it is um, amenity spaces as well. So you've got the vertical housing in the downtown, like Atlanta, Boston, New York City, Chicago. Okay. You've got the condos, the basement is filled full of amenities. That's a huge growing market. Okay. Um, but the commercial sector is kind of broken out in two ways. One is our private clubs, public clubs, um, but just what we call indoor golf centers or IGCs. And that's a dedicated facility that will have simulators, a bar and grill. Okay. Um, to Matthew's point and location, location is everything. And every opera, there is no real, there are franchises, but what you do in a, in a local area will determine the business. So um, the commercial operation, the one that's growing the most are the private you know, facilities of okay. indoor golf centers, you know, having a sports bar environment. But back to Matthew's point, the country clubs wanting to get the family in and keep them in and keep them in year round. Where I am in, in upstate New York, you know, the course is closed. So they shut down. Right. Those country clubs want to operate. Right. So adding simulators, adding technology, and enhancing the family environment is going to keep them there year round. Right. So it's all growing on all levels, but the, the commercial, you know, we kind of break it out into three ways. is the green grass facilities, okay. the commercial, you know, indoor golf centers, and then the amenity spaces. Gotcha. Um, the amenities is one I wouldn't have thought of, but yeah. because I live in a single family home. But right. 10 years ago, I was in an apartment right. renting, and if I would have, you know, I went and saw different buildings, and that would have been a big time. It's an enormous sales pitch. Yeah, so, would have been a big yeah, It's very competitive, too. And I think, I mean, the simulator space is really, it's a great showcase for how the, the game can change. My son goes on a simulator, and he loves to play Angry Birds. Yep. And, you know, and a purist would be like, you know, <laughs> rolling over in their grave, but, but he loves it. And it's just, it's yeah. just expanding the game. It's just really cool to see. And it's, it's, it's the technology that's doing it because that's what the generation, you know, my, my son, when he started to play golf, he only knew what we call, we called him a bubble golfer. He never played outdoors, right? but he could run a simulator. He could play 18 holes. And I want to say he was around probably six or seven, and we went to the local golf course to have dinner, and he, he's like, what is that? I said, 
well, what's what? That's a golf course. He's like, I have to hit the ball all the way down. There's like, oh my lord, like, wow, we've <laughs> got to fix this. Yeah. So, but it it got him engaged. My daughter had no interest of golf, but she came in and played games and and understood the fundamentals of how to hold a putter, how to hold a you know a, a, an iron. Yeah. And now she can you know she can hold her own out on the course. So. It's a way to get them exposed, it really is. But the technology and, and being able to do different things is, is what's compelling to everybody. Yeah, so Matthew, one business I wish I would have gotten into 10 years ago was building uh, teaching centers. So sure. every Greengrass Club feels like, especially like the top 50%, have built a, in, even in Atlanta, we have great weather, it doesn't snow, every club has built a two or three bay teaching center yes. where rain or shine, you can give lessons, you can introduce people to the game. Are you seeing that at your clubs? And the next obvious wave to me is simulators. What are you seeing? Absolutely. No, we, we love when we go into a club and, and there's uh, a teaching bay and teaching center already built. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we've looked at, uh, at, at building them if, if they haven't, because you're right, in, in the northern clubs where members are paying, you know, six, seven hundred, uh, eight hundred bucks or a thousand dollars or more every month when they're not using the facility, when they're not using the club. It's great to be able to help them justify the bill when you've got something for them to do in the winter to, to practice their game. And so um, as far as the, the teaching bays, a handful of our clubs have those, uh, and they're great. They get a lot of use. If we go into a club that we purchase and they don't have a golf simulator, that's, that's number one on the list. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, we, we just have found so much value, even if they're not wow. in, in a location where uh, you know they, they shut down for the winter. We've just seen so much benefit from a member engagement and a member experience standpoint that, that the ROI is, uh, is, is easy math to pencil. Right. Yeah. And it benefits all the other revenue streams from food and beverage to club sales to lessons. Yep, we, we've got uh, some, some people like to you know, uh, come and, and host you know, the, their corporate outings or, uh, or have their board meetings at our club if they're, if they're members of the club. Uh, and that's a great way to, to yep. parlay the experience into it have a meeting, have lunch, and, and play on the simulator. Right. Yeah, and I think the decision to build these teaching centers before simulators, we're at the PGA show, PGA of America, I think that's the thought process of, if I'm gonna add value to my golf pro, to the pros of my club, I build a teaching center. But we have a teaching center that we built at our club. I never really use it. If I wanna add value to the end user, to the golfer, I think the simulator is more, and it's, it's interesting, to, in my opinion, the teaching centers have come first. And the, and the simulators will come second. So our you know, course record show is the business of golf. This is a more pure business question, Matthew. Yep. How do the economics work of a private equity fund essentially that owns golf courses? You come in, a golf course is looking for a buyer, maybe just you know, treading on thin ice. How do you make the business more profitable than they were making? Yeah, no, no, it's a great question. I, I would think of Concert Golf as a, as a hospitality company, right? We are an owner-operator, we're in the business of providing great member experiences. Um, and, and so when we're looking at properties, in, in our early years, we were founded in 2010 off the heels of, of the Great Recession. And at that time, you know, there were clubs that were struggling financially. Uh, membership was down. Uh, clubs are very capital intensive, require a lot to, to keep them you know, kept up and, and maintained. Uh, and so the, the first few of our properties uh, were certainly uh, purchased with, with some more financial distress. As we've matured as a company, and, and certainly as, as golf has, has rebounded in, in, in the past two years, we are still active, active buyers of clubs. But it's not, it's not necessarily clubs that are in distress or have okay. major financial needs. Oh, really? Uh, we're seeing a few different trends. Obviously, um, you know, clubs need a full membership base and a thriving club. To, to pay the bills and keep reinvesting in the facilities. You see different trends of technology that we've discussed today and trying to enhance the member experience for each member of the family. That requires a lot of capital. It's, it's new fitness centers, it's aquatic centers, it's simulators. And so we see board members of equity clubs or developers or private owners who are trying to take their club to the next level. Right? They can either do it themselves, pass an assessment or, uh, or, or raise debt with their membership. Uh, or they can partner with a group like ours who, you know, has experience, uh, you know, has a strong portfolio of clubs and has plenty of capital to transform their club. So, yeah, uh, you know, another trend we're seeing is from a governance standpoint. I, I think gone are the days or, or they're coming soon 
that members really want to be involved in the day-to-day -day management and governance of their clubs. Right? They want to eat, drink, play golf, hang on the simulator, go to the pool with their families, and, and be customers and, and, and enjoy their club without, without dealing with, with the recruiting and the funding and the you know, oversight of staff. Uh, I, I think those are, those are times in the past, and, and so you know, we're seeing a lot of people who, who may be in great shape financially, but just say, you know, I bought the club as a hobby and, and you know, it was really fun for a few years, but let's hand it to the professionals and, and, and just enjoy our club. Yeah, board, board work at a club is, is a full-time gig. I mean, like the president of a club that's member-owned, I don't know what the hourly commitment is per week. And they don't pay well, by the way. No, <laughs> the pay, neither is the appreciation. Right? No, exactly. You know, it's, it, it's a thankless job. Right, exactly. If you put Pepsi in the men's grill, half the members are mad that they want Coke. 300 bosses. Right, you have 300 bosses. Yep. And you have all those bosses. Anyone that's a member of a club is successful in their own right. They all think that they're, you know, just because you're the best lawyer in town and you can join, join a nice club, it gives you the right to know what the bunker sand should be like. <laughs> it's just a thankless. Exactly. It's a thankless job. So. John, I know CapTech is really excited about the digital technology partnership with PGA of America. It was announced last week. It's a multi-year deal. Um, tell us about what what is that going to involve for PGA of America members, like we talked about previously, and then the end user, which is golfers. What are you working on with the PGA of America? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we're, we're really excited about the announcement and the opportunity to partner and, uh, with the PGA and the members. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great organization, and we're, we're really honored to be part of it. You know, it's interesting here at the show, I was here a couple years ago, um, and there was some talk of technology, but this time around, it's basically a majority of the conversation. I mean, like what we're talking about today, um, you, you walk the floor, there's just a lot more tech here, and it's really cool to see, you know, potentially this could be the future of, the, of this conference is around how technology changes the game. So we'll, we'll obviously be a big part of that. The product and innovation teams at the, PGA are driving this, and they've got a great vision. We started to talk to them around the use of and the creation of consumer data for the members to use to better understand the audience, market to them, you know, create products around it. We've also talked about they're building a big center in Frisco, kind of the coaching center, to show how technology can be used for the golfers and for the members. So we're excited to learn more about that and dig in. And we're also looking at just some general digital tools, revamp, things in that area that, you know, again, just build the game, grow the game, make it clearer, uh, more transparent, all those types of things for what the PGA does. So we're really excited to get started. I mean, we, we foresee bringing all of our capabilities to bear across you know, customer experience, data, systems integration, technology development, management consulting, visioning, all of those things are, are on the table and we're, we're really just getting started. So look, really looking forward to lean in, and um, the show's been a great way to kick it off. Yeah. I think the Frisco project is going to be a big story in the next 10 years in golf. You've got two courses, multiple major championships being held there. The innovation and technology hub or teaching center of the future is going to be built there. I think that's going to be really cool, and that's definitely in its infancy, but it's going to be a great story to follow in the business of golf over the next 10 years. So. Um, Good deal. Anything you guys want to ask each other? Or any topics you think we should have surfaced in the, in the time you've been here in Orlando? I, I've got a question for Ken on, on the mix of DIY. That's what you refer to, you know, home home installations for mm -hmm. residential users and commercial users, whether it's you know hotels, amenitization of, of yep. apartment communities, or or green grass complexes like ours. What is the mix shift now? for about golf and where do you see it going in the future? So our home installs are, you know, we, our, the DIY thing was a temporary thing we did during COVID when we couldn't get to the field. Our, our home is something that will will work with the contractors, the architects, the interior designers, however deep the client wants to go, and then we'll handle all of that white glove service. So the blend between home installs and, and commercial, we're about almost each quarter about evenly it's, wow. a, it's an even break. That's nice. Um, number of simulators that go in, obviously it weighs heavier on the commercial end because you'll have a commercial client that'll have, you know, a golf course will have three or four or an indoor golf center will have 10 to 15. But the, uh, the, the, the number of accounts were pretty evenly based each quarter on, on who we're working with. The 
the home installation is a much longer process. You know, it's not a, you know, colonial cookie cutter like I live in. It's a, I'm building a house, it's not gonna be done for two years. So we have a very long sales process of keeping the client informed, technology changes, keeping up with everything. So we work with them on all levels. It's not just, hey, give us an empty room and we'll fill it. We want it to become part of the home. And they really have started to climb onto the main floor of the home because they're using it for you know, home entertainment, computer, television. It's a big theater room as well. Yeah. So, but we're seeing a, an, an even break on that. What's you know, the consumer the, profile of that of the of the homeowner? And if you could answer that in a way that aligns to my household, I'd appreciate it. I'm trying, <laughs> trying, to, sell, I'm trying to sell this in. Yeah, we will sell it to everybody. So it's a it's it's and we're seeing it really on all levels. It's not just for the ultra wealthy or anything like that. It's somebody that wants to have that experience in the home. You know, it's it's a forty thousand dollar investment, okay. but okay, they didn't buy the sports car. We now have this in the home, and it's now a a it's beyond a home theater. It's beyond a golf simulator. It's a multimedia platform for gaming. You know, the core is golf, but it's also a big theater where roll the Peloton in. You know, roll the you know do karaoke, do whatever you want in this space. So. We always started in the basement. We're now seeing ourselves on the main floor. Oh, wow. Because it's, hey, we're having a party. The kids want to use it as a computer. They want to play Xbox on it. So we've got a full integrated multimedia platform that's just plug and play. That's Any great. home office installs? Tons. Tons. Especially with COVID and everybody being home. We have a big curved screen solution that can wrap around you. So it will, we have it here at the show and it's a it's a curved screen that can ultimately create a you know mega control center for you well wow. and i think you made a good point about the sports car well one the sports car is something only one person can enjoy or two yeah. not the whole family and then a lot of the covid golf boom i think was hey i was going to take my kids on a 10 day trip to europe this right. summer or we were going to go to hawaii yep. you know our big splurge this year was going to be travel yep and all of a sudden that budget line item went away and they had capital to spend on these. And, and everybody's think, uh, investing in the home. Yep. Investing in the home and ex experiences local, which are country clubs, yep. right? Like yep. an initiation fee, I mean, I don't know, what's the average initiation fee at one of your clubs? Yeah, it's, Ballpark. It, uh, you know, between 15 and, uh, boy, 15 and $25,000. Exactly. Uh, at, you know, the max being $75,000. So it's it's a hefty investment right. for a lot of people. It is a hefty investment, but that price point too, if you have a family, as expensive it is now to go skiing, to go to, on right. a trip, like that's the price of a big, big family vacation. And that's where we saw the boom was the, the golf course and country club because people weren't traveling. Right. So the the quick acting country clubs and golf courses were like we need to get them here and that we've we provided social distancing you know solutions for for the bays and all that but it was all right we now have a place to go with the family okay and so it's a you know it's absolutely you know it's 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 not just for the ultra wealthy we're seeing everybody take advantage of it you do i'm sure you can't talk about some of your high profile customers and clients but club pro guy is an about golf simulator customer. So when you talk about the elite and the ultra wealthy, there you go. We're talking about club pro guys. Perfect. That is, uh, I know that that's probably giving you guys a lot of great exposure, and he's he's an absolute on all levels. He's a treasure. Yes. <laughs> no, no doubt. We we have a wide variety, but uh, he's he's definitely one of our most entertaining. Guys, I really appreciate you taking the time. I look forward to learning more about golf. I'm going to head straight over to the booth here after we're done. Matthew, thanks for your time. John, I always appreciate your and CapTech's perspectives. So thanks so much. Thanks thanks for thank us. you. All right, Dan, three unique perspectives on the business of golf. What were your thoughts listening to our conversation? That was a cool conversation. I mean, you not only was the conversation great, the buzz was palpable in the air. The, the show was alive and well. This was your second time there, Roberto, if I'm not mistaken. What did you What did you think of it? Literal buzz on our audio recording, but that's what you get when you go live, right? It was my second time there. Last one was right before the pandemic, and it was different, but I thought it was a big success. You had less vendors and less golf pros, but all the industry people were there. And for course record show purposes, the business of golf, a lot of energy, a lot of people representing different golf technologies, different golf organizations, different golf companies. So I would say it was more business focused and less merchandise 
focused. It used to be called the PGA Merchandise Show. I think they've shortened that to PGA Show. That's interesting to hear about the evolution of it. So walking the floor there, what kind of trends or bets clearly emerged in the business of golf? Dan, like I said, there was less merchandise, but a lot of technology, specifically putting technology. Simulators are really a pretty mature technology, but figuring out the putting as you get closer to the hole has always been a challenge. And there were some really cool solutions. Second was PGA Frisco. That was a hot topic. You know, PGA of America is moving their national headquarters from Florida to Frisco, Texas, building two golf courses, big Omni Hotel and Resort. They're going to host, I think, 10 major championships are already committed. So there was, I think, a, a bit of a reveal around what the headquarters will look like, what the golf courses are going to be like. So a lot of buzz around PGA Frisco as well. So those are my overall thoughts on the PGA show. But let's get to the conversation. What did you think about our panel? What did you think about the topics covered? What jumped off the page? Well, my thought was I wish I'd been there, but I wasn't. You were missed. You were um, definitely missed. Gosh, but I, but I appreciate you flying the flag down there. Let, let's start with going back to our predictions episode. I'm super bullish on simulator golf, and we talked a lot about that last time. But, but I, I have to say, I am more bullish after hearing this episode. Really? And I, yeah, I mean, hearing Ken from about golf was fascinating. And him talking about a completely different breed. Like when he painted the picture of what he called the bubble golfer, the person who's only played golf in the simulator and didn't know what the golf course looked like. Yeah. That was a eureka moment for me. Yeah. I, that was an extreme. I wasn't ready to imagine yet. Yeah. And um, I, I recognize that's not a, a majority, but thinking of the home and the simulator as an access point to golf and when they get you so far into your life cycle in the game before you hit the green grass was fascinating. I, I mean, I, I thought of simulator golf as a compliment to green grass. This kind of flipped that on its head a little bit to me. And um, I thought that was really, really interesting to see. And I, and I, you know, hearing you say technology was a big trend at the show. I, I think we're only scratching the surface on this stuff. You're exactly right. We've always thought of it as the golf junkie wants to add simulator golf to his life. And you're right. Totally different take on it that people could enter the game that way. And the other thing I thought was interesting was how they've moved from the basement to the first floor. And I'm sure that's not the rule still. I think most of these are still relegated to the garage apartment or the basement. But thinking about it from a whole family perspective about a full multimedia experience if you start to think about AR, VR, and wearing goggles and the cool things that are coming down the pipe, not from golf companies, but for media companies, this simulator room has a lot more appeal, right? And they might have a huge leg up in installing these things in homes. And 10 years from now, about, about golf might be about media. And every cool new house is being built with an immersive multimedia room. Uh, anyway, it just gets my wheels turning. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and it, and it starts there, but it doesn't end there, right? The, the simulator as a country club, you know, appendage or as, or as a big selling point for apartments uh, as an amenity, like that, that, those points that were covered off were, were super interesting. I, I thought of those as very ancillary use cases for simulators, but they're clearly not. Like a lot of clubs here where I live have simulators in the winter, and, um, and, and those are booming. So it's really interesting to see that that's, that's growing as a trend. And that's the number one thing that concert golf would do. If they see a club with that one, that's, that's first order of business, stick the simulator in there somewhere. So just fascinating to see how that's the green grass and simulator um, experiences also coexist so nicely. Yeah, they're definitely merging. And that's where, you know, my first point to John about, how do you merge these technologies? Because you mentioned it. Physically, they're starting to merge. Greengrass, golf, next generation experiences. And the data standard, that would be great. It would be great for everything. I, I spent half my day authenticating and logging into things, right? It's a never ending. And that just needs to happen across various industries, golf being one of them. It's definitely uh, the next frontier in customer experience, right? No, I agree. I mean, you know, we, we talked to Jihei Lee in episode seven from Sportsbox AI, 
And I know she was featured in the, and the company was featured prominently at the show in terms of how you capture specific measurements about your swing without all the appendages and all the different sensors you would otherwise need to have. So that's a very clear use case around instruction, technique, et cetera. Like are, are there other use cases for data that you see being just prime for, for really taking off this year? Well, I think shot level data is going to be a big one, right? What the tour has done with ShotLink is really cool, but capturing this data, like John mentioned, is really, really difficult. But like all technology, it will progress and we'll look back and just think it was completely archaic the way the first, the first attempts at it, like anything. But that's one. Yeah, I know I'm, I, you know, I work in tech. I love data, <laughs> I work in data. But collecting it really is a bear. And I, I, I wanted to do more to collect my own information. So anything that helped me get more stats on my game without the burden of punching in a bunch of stuff uh, has got my attention pronto. Yeah. What else? Let's talk, let's talk green grass. I was super fascinated by Matthew from Concert Golf and, and the model that they have in terms of uh, acquiring and, and managing and running uh, green grass clubs. I know you, you asked the question because you and I were talking about this. We, we, I think we both had the assumption that they were buying distress clubs and needs of, in needs of turnarounds, et cetera. But that wasn't the case, was it? No, it wasn't. And that surprised me. And it was interesting. But I think I'm going to buy one story he was selling. And I'm a little skeptical of the second. I definitely buy the single owner who built a golf course as a pet project or tied it into a real estate development, wanting to unload the ownership and operation of that golf course. I'm more skeptical of the member owned club that is on solid financial footing, wanting to sell and give control of their club to a equity fund. I totally agree that the board of directors are sick of running their club and that they want to enjoy their club and not work at their club. I totally see all those things. But at the end of the day, when you sell, you give up control and you have no guarantee that the next guy is not going to bulldoze your back nine to put in a, a super Walmart or, you know, that's an extreme case. But so Matthew has to do a hell of a sales job to get a solid financial member owned club to sell to him, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, who knows what kind of contracting goes in to prevent some of those scenarios from sure. going in. But I, but I hear you. Yeah, you do give up a ton of control. Um, you'd have to for that for the case to be compelling, right? You'd have, you'd have to think that a the value of full time management of this exceeds the value of part time or volunteer management of the club, right. of the club, right? right? And you know, he talked about some of his plays, like the simulator going in on day one and, and, and finding programming for, for families when clubs may have not been adapting that quickly enough. Um, so question, what's that, what's that worth, right? What does that do to raise the value of the club beyond the purchase price that Concert Golf has to fork up to get in the game? I don't know, but that's, you'd have to think that that value add has to be significant enough for this model to be working and be applied to so many clubs that they own. And you could see there being enough of a value add there, right? So just think about a traditional private equity model. They say, here's a company. They have professional managers. We're going to buy it. And our professional managers are going to be so much better that we're going to create a ton of value. Take golf. You have a company, a golf course. They have amateur managers. They're not professional golf managers. So it is very feasible that the professional manager could create enough value to make the investment worth it. So from a big picture, I can totally see it. Yeah, it, it's that. And then the second, which I don't know how much is employed by concert golf or anywhere in golf is the, is the financial structuring, right? Like if you can make a change and you can create leverage on that change to the financial structure, you meaning using debt instead of just, just equity, then you compound the gains that you've created. Oh yeah. I would imagine that like putting debt on a golf course would be relatively easy to do because if the deal goes south and the club goes south and things hit, you know, a bunch of roadblocks, the bank can turn that, that huge space, that open space into a mall or into residences or into parking lots, whatever it needs to do to make its money 
it's got lots of avenues to make money back. That collateral is super valuable and probably underappreciated vis-a-vis what it could be if it wasn't a golf course. So you can probably send a ton of throw a ton of debt, create a ton of leverage on the value add you and I were talking about earlier. And that's the private equity model truly at its best. Yeah, that's true. But I think that the counter argument to that is that the biggest challenge is zoning and permitting for golf course land. I actually got a look at an investment model, investment fund company, and their big value prop was that they could get stuff repermitted because that is the toughest thing. So I get what you're saying. Dirt has incredible value, but if the bank is hamstrung on it, what they can do with it, it's still a risky collateral to hold. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I agree. Um, you could sell it as opportunity economically for the city, but, but I'm with you. It's not that easy. And I know how it's, I, I know it's not that easy. So, but, um, but that's an important due diligence factor. I'm sure concert golf and others in this space do to yeah. make sure that they're, they've got an exit path somehow. Yeah. And honestly, we're pontificating a little bit. That's what's been so fun about doing this show. I feel like every episode answers two or three questions and opens five or six more questions. So my head's already spinning about people in this space that we could get on or have Matthew back on, or there's just a lot of, there's a lot of conversations to be had. So many questions to answer, Roberto. Yeah. That's what my six year old says. She wakes up in the morning. She says, I have a lot of questions today. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh boy. boy. Start the the coffee. Yeah. It's six 50 in the morning. All right. Um, Parting thoughts. Uh, Parting thoughts were, a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement about what COVID, you know, that's how I opened the conversation that COVID created a, a once in a generation boom for golf. My opinion is that it's going to be pretty sticky. Of course you have up and down cycles, but once people start playing golf, they kind of get hooked. We know that there will be ebbs and flows like any industry, but it's fun to be part of a group of people and be around that energy that, Hey, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of wind at our, at our back, wind in our sails. I agree. We just got to invest in building capacity, right? These people need a place to play, whether it's green grass, simulators, par three course, driving range, top golf, whatever. We, we just got to find a spot to play and the stagnation we've had in the last several years in terms of number of new venues and opportunities and tee times getting created for folks. We got, let's invest in that. Let's get that done. Let's let's capitalize on this boom so it does stick. Otherwise, they'll go elsewhere. Yeah. I still have questions about whether the capacity is there, whether it's misallocated. Like when there's droughts in California, you know, it's flooding in Atlanta. Is that is that the case with golf? Are there you're in one of the most valuable real estate markets in the world in Boston? Like there's not enough capacity where you are. And Atlanta's a big growing city, but I would think there's tons of cities in the U.S. where there was a ton of slack and the COVID boom has just filled that slack and they don't need new capacity. But we'll have to dig into that or have someone on who who knows more than we do. It's true. Very local. I'm sure that's true. All right. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe. Drop a quick review. One line helps. And uh, look forward to any conversation listeners want to have via social media. We usually post via Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. So Share your thoughts, share your opinions. A lot of smart folks out there that we'd love to hear from. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next time.